0: This episode was brought to you by Bookout Blooms. Bookout Blooms sells cut flowers and designs. They're located in South End Charlotte. They have beautiful flower arrangements for any occasion you can think of. They even have classes where you and a group of girlfriends can come and learn to make your own bouquets. So head on over to www.bookoutblooms.com to learn more information. And if you stop by the shop, tell them that those other girls sent you. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Those Other Girls with Mallory and Friends. I'm Mallory. I'm Victoria. And we are changing culture and bringing back traditional values. We also want to let you guys know that these views are all our own. Okay, so um, I'm really excited about today's episode. I think it's going to be very interesting. This is another episode where I know Pretty much nothing about the topic so i'm gonna learn something um victoria probably knows way more about this than i do and our guest for sure yeah.
1: does well i did a little dabbling in environmental economics i did write an essay mm. on pig farming in north carolina and how flooding of hurricanes have caused pigs floating down the river oh and how, yeah it's actually interesting. really interesting because they store their feces in like a lake but then when the hurricanes come through and flood it gets into the water system
0: wait so then what does that have to do with the pig wait the yeah pigs are so you the know we
1: have more pigs than humans in north carolina did not know that whoa mm-hmm. that's interesting we are
0: number two supplier i think behind iowa is that why we're like a really big barbecue store? yes fun fact um uh north carolina's number one barbecue so just yes everybody knows okay anyway um
1: and you so, have to pick size whether it's lexington style or vinegar based right
0: vinegar based that's eastern i personally like vinegar anyway okay, okay um we can get into that in another episode but um we have um christopher and he is the managing director of young conservatives for carbon dividends and um he's going to be our interviewee today, and I want to say, like, how I came about this organization, because it was 110% by chance. As y'all know, I went to CPAC, and I ran in, like, you know, I'm the queen of walking around and collecting the free stuff, so (laughs) I was walking, and uh, I also have, like, um, very approachable face I know this like no matter where I am like oh it's awful in New York everybody always just comes up and talks to me like people are lost I'm the person they come talk to all the time so this guy walks up to me and is like hey let me tell you about my organization and it was the conservatives for carbon dividends and I was like oh this is so interesting I have no idea what you just said you sound like you know a lot how would you come on my podcast so then he connected me with chris and chris is going to go and tell us about himself and why he is here yep welcome
1: chris and this is going with our series on we believe uh kind of republican values and this is going to give you the counter argument for aoc's green new deal bless her heart
2: (laughs) thanks so much guys yeah i I, like uh, like my said, I'm Chris Johnson, I'm the managing director, uh, a Young Conservatives for Carbon Dividends. Uh, we're championing capitalism as a solution to climate change. Uh, we're championing, championing free markets and conservative principles uh, as, as the solution to climate change because our sort of theory is, is if we know the conservative principles and conservative values uh, solve policy solutions uh, up and down the docket, uh, why would climate and the environment be any different? Um, And so, uh, just for a little bit about myself, I uh, am a graduate of B. Ohio State University, uh, and uh, I I grew up in uh, a little bit in the south. uh, So uh, I will not comment my thoughts on North Carolina barbecue. (laughs) uh, But uh, where
1: did you grow up in the south? I I was in
2: Texas. Uh, Oh,
1: my husband's from Texas.
2: Yeah. Where did you grow up
1: in Texas?
2: uh, Dallas in East Texas. Okay, that's
1: his family lives in like Greenville area. Like, I think it's like north of Dallas.
2: Okay, gotcha. That's yeah, where they are really right now, but north of Dallas. Yeah.
1: yeah, but he grew up in Austin, and he's a Texas Aggie. Texas oh, Aggie. nice. That's, yeah.
2: that's great. Um, Yeah, so so I went to Ohio State. I studied public policy there, uh, so I uh, ultimately uh, wrote my uh, undergraduate thesis on uh, carbon pricing as the conservative solution to climate change, uh, and so I've been about this for a little while now um, and so it was uh, only a matter of time that I'd be doing this uh, you know full-time but uh, after college worked in uh, Republican politics running state and local campaigns um, and then ultimately you know because that I sort of came up political age uh, towards the end of the fracking boom in Ohio you know I obviously saw that like robust energy development job creation economic growth, uh, and environmental stewardship and the reduction in emissions and, and efficiency, um, you know, uh, were not dichotomous, they were not at odds with each other, they, they were something that could and should happen together. And so, uh, so yeah, so I've always been uh, someone who saw innovation and free market capitalism as the solution to our environmental problems. Um, the the clearest solution policy wise to incentivize that uh, is, is a carbon dividend solution. Uh, and so I championed that while working uh, with energy industries uh, on their public affairs side of things uh, for the last few years and then ultimately coming here as major director at YCCD. Um, so it was great interacting with folks at CPAC. That's the kind of stuff that we do. It was so great that Victor was able to talk to you. Uh, he's, he's awesome. It was, it was so fun seeing his passion for it, especially being in Florida. Uh, conservatives down there, just they just think about the environment totally differently. They, they understand it as an economic issue um and they know that the stuff they're hearing from the left is is not going to solve the problems that they're seeing it's not going to solve uh you know these devastating storms that hit them these these floods these algae blooms um you know there's nothing in the green new deal that they're seeing that's going to help them on that uh in terms of actually solving the problem uh which is uh you know reducing carbon emissions um so that's me yeah thanks for having me this is exciting
0: so did growing up
1: yeah. in Texas kind of get you interested in energy and
2: I think it got um, into my veins a little bit. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't ignore, you know, how much that played a role. I moved to Ohio uh, when I was still growing up, heading into middle school and high school. So I don't think I was thinking about politics too much other than I got to see the governor become president, uh, you know, oh, kind of cool. thing. So, oh, yeah. so hopefully, hopefully Floridians are seeing that right now. So, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're watching Governor DeSantis do his thing. Um, uh, but yeah, so I, I think it started that a little bit. Um, but just, you know, I think being in Ohio, having that, you know, having basically the same kind of energy development happened just 20 years later, uh, you know, was was just something that, uh, so what you see a lot of folks develop that that bug in, in Texas, we all got that in Ohio because that's how we got out of the Great Recession uh, was because of the, the investments in, in energy technology that allowed us to do horizontal drilling, build pipelines, do all this kind of stuff. Uh, And bring those jobs back. And so we had some of the most robust economic recovery uh, in the country, you know, when I was uh, when I was an undergrad uh, at OSU. And I just, you know, I wanted to figure out how we could uh, create that policy environment nationally, Um, you know, not just in Ohio, but nationally, as we think about energy issues, big picture, um, you know, but obviously as young people, uh, you know, the sort of science of climate change, the sort of uh, concerns about climate change um, you know, are, are not, not necessarily debated as much. It's about finding the solution. What is the solution to this problem? Um, and so, uh, you know, trying to find a solution that solves both of those, it creates that kind of economic growth and opportunity, um, but also stewards the environment well. Uh, and that's obviously how I came around to the carbon dividend solution.
0: So what's the problem with the green new deal? Actually, wait, wait. Before you answer that, can you give us a definition of carbon dividends for those yes. that don't know? Yes. Yeah,
2: no, that, that'd that be great. Um, so the carbon dividend solution uh, is uh, written by uh, former secretaries of state, James Baker and George Shultz, uh, uh, who are, uh, worked for uh, Reagan and H.W. Bush. Um, so obviously written by conservatives for conservatives. Uh, it has four pillars. Uh, those four pillars are an economy wide price on carbon, so a market uh, signal uh to to innovators to entrepreneurs uh to businesses uh to innovate and reduce emissions uh a the second pillar is a dividend that takes 100% of that revenue so our plan is revenue neutral it does not increase the size of government doesn't create new programs and plans and those kind of things it gives 100% of the revenue back to the american people in a quarterly dividend check uh, and so uh so those of us that are that are seeing something like a carbon price and are worried about the the price of energy going up uh, the vast majority of American households come out on top because of the dividend solution. Uh, the third pillar is rolling back environmental regulations. And so the Obama era regulations uh, that obviously didn't solve the problem uh, and are fundamentally inefficient uh, in both uh, the sort of environmental context and reducing emissions, but also the economic context of just creating unnecessary bureaucracy and red tape. Uh, those would be rolled back uh, because they would now be redundant redundant with a carbon price. Uh, and then the fourth pillar Uh, is a border carbon adjustment. And so it's the America first uh, climate solution by holding countries like China and India and Russia accountable for their emissions uh, because we know that climate change is a global problem. We need a global solution. And that's how America is going to lead on this issue is is through that mechanism. So that's the Baker Schultz carbon dividends plan that we advocate for uh, at YCCD uh, across the country with our grassroots network. So it's kind of wonky in the weeds kind of stuff for a lot of folks, but I want to make sure that everybody knows the details on this. Uh, so they can judge it on the merits because I think it's a win, 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 win for conservatives uh, up and down the board.
0: Yeah, awesome. no, I'm glad you went to the weeds because like we were saying earlier, we really do want like the purpose of episodes like this are for people to have like talking points. So when you are talking to your we call the person, your liberal Lizzie friends, you can say stuff and liberal you can Lizzie. at least articulate a little bit better how the conservative point of view is. So, yeah. no, I'm glad you got into the weeds. So, kind of going back, what's the
1: problem with the Green New Deal?
2: Well, the problem is, you know, it's 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 nine parts New Deal and one part green. Uh, the biggest issue with with a lot of the Green New Deal is how much of it is just progressive hobby horses. Uh, things like a fifteen dollars minimum wage, or a federal jobs guarantee, or um, you know, healthcare expansion, or all these kind of things that, like, you can debate the merits of. You can talk about being important or whatever, uh, probably not the federal jobs guarantee, uh, you know, uh, but, you know, you can kind of talk about these in moral, ethical context, whatever. Uh, but they don't really have anything to do with emissions reduction. Uh, so that's that's sort of the big, the, the, the first obvious clearing problem. The second problem is is the issue that conservatives know. Uh, is is one of the biggest issues with any policy solution coming from the left is how much it massively expands the administrative state and the scope of government. And so, if we know that as the scope of government expands, that our freedoms and liberties shrink, um, that you know a, a policy solution that is looking to spend trillions of dollars is something that we should obviously uh, be deeply skeptical of. Uh, and then, third is is that. Uh, it only addresses emissions uh, domestically. So even if they achieve mm. these pie-in-the-sky goals of reducing emissions you know, to, to net neutral by 2035 or whatever they're trying to get to, uh, which we just don't have the technology currently to do that, uh, so it's without you know, the sort of like rolling blackouts and stuff like that, um, you know, that kind of, of emissions reduction can't happen. Uh, even if we do get there, Uh, It only solves the problem of emissions domestically, which is only 13 percent of the world's emissions. Uh, And so if we're not addressing emissions abroad and we're just basically putting our hope in the sort of uh, Paris Climate Accords kind of way of solving global emissions, where we just come together and hold hands and sing Kumbaya and hope that, you know, Xi Jinping suddenly decides to care about the environment. Um, you know, that's the, those are the biggest problems, uh, with the green new deal is, is that, you know, it it's, it's a lot of, you know, progressive hobby horses massively expands the scope of government and reduces personal freedoms. Um, and, and that it only addresses domestic emissions, not to mention, I mean, the fourth is, is mostly punditry to a certain degree, but a lot of this stuff is really, really unpopular. I mean, they brought it up for a vote in the Senate as a resolution, uh, and it got voted down zero to 57. So. You know, it's it's something that like, you know, it's just not a not a real uh, serious political solution, let alone on the policy merits.
0: So you bring up really quick, really quick. Sorry, sorry. I have a quick question. At the beginning, you said that the $15 minimum wage is in the Green New Deal. Now, what does that have to do with um, like the environment? Exactly the problem. The way that
2: the left articulates this is they, they will use the language of justice, which, you know, as a Christian, you know, obviously I, I am sympathetic to that kind of language. I, I mm-hmm. desire a world that is more just and more uh, verdant and, uh, you know, there, there's more equity and opportunity and those kind of things. Uh, but the problem is they they use the language of justice to justify. Uh, almost anything that they can claim is some kind of justice. So so climate justice ends up being essentially what they would call social justice. Uh, oh, and that okay. allows for, you know, and, and obviously we see the rhetoric of the left driving a lot of discussions about social justice that um, uh, are neither social nor just a lot of the time. Uh, and so so that's, that's sort of how they fit in stuff like a $15 minimum wage or or a socialized healthcare system, or whatever, is they view those as just, and therefore they are part of this, you know, justice movement, this environmental justice or climate justice movement. Okay. Uh, you know, and uh, it's it's pretty cynical and pretty clear what they're doing. Um, you know, trying to use the very real concern about climate change uh, to do a bunch of other progressive policy hobby horses. Um, but they're obviously never going to admit that that's what they're doing. And they probably convince themselves that that's not what they're doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just what a ton of pork in the bill, essentially. It's,
2: it's, it's like separate from pork. Like, honestly, like at least with pork, you get like a bridge out of it. You get, you know, you get a a road, you get some, you know, nice stuff for your district or whatever. It's mostly just, uh, sort of wish casting. Um, I think the folks that write the green new deal or wrote the green new deal, they're not legislators. Uh, most of them are activists. Um, you know, oh, uh, and, and, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to malign activists. Obviously I, I do this sort of professionally, uh, from the <laughs> conservative side. Um, but it's, it's, you know, there's not a sort of legislative goal with any of these things being built in there. It's just like, wouldn't it be great if we had this? Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's like, if I wanted, if I wrote a climate bill that also cut the corporate tax rate to zero um you know like it doesn't really make sense in a climate bill but like as a conservative activist i would love to see it happen you know and it's just okay like, yeah yeah that's the okay. kind of, of cynicism that's that's happening there
1: so you bring up the paris climate accords yeah why are they not effective like trump pulled us out mm-hmm. and then biden day one put us back in
2: yeah i mean the the hardest part is 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 to well there's two issues i should say Number one is, is there's no real enforcement mechanism. There's no real way to ensure that these folks, these, these countries, are living up to their goals, living up to the agreements. Uh, and so if they don't, there's really no stick or carrot uh, mechanism that, that incentivizes them or disincentivizes them from certain behaviors emission wise. Uh, and so, so there needs to be an enforcement mechanism that's clear, uh, that's effective, and that's enforceable. Um, and then second, Um, is, is that, uh, it is, uh, you know, the, the sort of limitations of, of a a global agreement like this is that you can just get out, you can just leave, you can just get up and quit, uh, whenever you want. Uh, and, and so there's the, you know, Trump proved that by, by just getting out of it and then we just get back in. There's not really a massive shift in, in where we're headed climate wise as a result of that. Uh so so obviously it's not this sort of like end all be all of of uh climate solutions. Um so so yeah, the enforcement mechanism and, and then just the, the sort of um almost like necessity to hold hands and, and have Kumbaya and, yeah. and get
1: our participation it's, sticker. Yeah. And- yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's well intended. I mean, I get the this sort of intention behind it, but it, without some kind of enforcement mechanism, it's it's just too easy to be gamed. And, and not to mention that it obviously treats countries like China as, you know, essentially third world developing countries. Uh, when they very clearly developed quite significantly and they have access to technology because the justification for, you know, I'm getting kind of into the weeds here, but the justification for why they treat countries like China like that is, well, you you know, countries like the U.S. and the U.K. had the entire industrial revolution to develop and pollute, um, you know, so why shouldn't these developing countries be able to pollute as they develop? And the answer there is because it's 2021. We didn't have access to nuclear technology in 1870. You know, and so like these these countries have access to that kind of technology. Uh, I think you make the argument that that the U.S. should look to export those technologies. I think the Trump administration looked to do that quite a bit, uh, which is encouraging to see. That's a big part of the sort of Kevin McCarthy uh, climate solutions is exporting those technologies. But the reality is those technologies exist. And so we should hold these countries to at least that standard, um, you know, with that nuance built in and not treat them. Like they're you know uh, some you know third world backwater uh, who just figured out how to make fire. Uh, yeah. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Wait, really quick. Sorry. Two seconds. Okay. So about the going in and going out thing. Um. So were there any consequences for us pulling out?
2: I uh, not to my knowledge. Um. I, so I'm sure it that
0: seems- I'm it sure change that our they, carbon? I'm sure
2: emissions? that when we came back, they got some dirty looks, and uh, you know. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, you can make the argument diplomatically that it makes us look, you know, erratic or whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I there, in terms of like actual consequences from the organizations that, that put this thing together no. I mean, you're not getting sanctioned. Yeah. You're not getting, you know, uh, dinged with a border carbon adjustment or a carbon tariff. Uh, it's just you're not in this with us. Um, That's
0: so useless to me. Did it change <laughs> the
1: us going in and going out? Did it change our carbon use at all?
2: Uh, it doesn't seem like it. Uh, obviously, the pandemic is is a, a huge variable there because uh, obviously our emissions went down a little bit this past year or so. Um, so you could you know you could point to that and say you know it's like well you know we left and then our emissions went down. And it's like well <laughs> there were some other variables involved. I, I, yeah. I don't think I don't think you can say that you know that that we all of a sudden stopped decarbonizing as a result. Uh, I think the administration was going to do whatever it was going to do. On emissions and climate, uh, regardless of whether we were in the the uh, agreement or not, um, I think both being in the agreement and leaving the agreement were largely symbolic, um, you know. Uh, and and so the, yeah, there weren't really any climate or environmental, uh, you know, implications to that.
1: Yeah. So how do you do? Okay. So first, uh, first question is who's the most like biggest user of carbon and then how do we hold them accountable for their use and try to get them to use less
2: so so the biggest polluters China. um it's it shouldn't be a big surprise to us um Not at all. Have that's the, what i thought it was yeah they have the largest uh they also have the largest um uh single entity producer of of carbon dioxide and that's the china coal company Uh, So if your lefty friends ever tell you that if we only socialize or nationalize the energy industry, uh, we could solve climate change. uh, You should probably point to that uh, because they have a state owned entity uh, that's the biggest polluter on the planet, uh, more than, you know, all the supposed evils of BP, Shell, Exxon, whatever. Um, So so and how you hold them accountable is is through uh, through the American consumer. Uh, China got rich off the American consumer uh, buying cheap goods from them. And so uh, one of the biggest reasons why they're so cheap is because they're able to pollute. Uh, they're able to operate in a way that's, that's not near as clean or efficient as American uh, goods are made, as, a, as American manufacturing. So when they export their goods to us, that's not accounted for. And so what a border carbon adjustment does is it accounts for that pollution. Uh, and so if they want, we're telling all these countries, not just China, uh, but all of these countries that pollute. Uh, If you want access to the American consumer and all of the prosperity that that brings, we're the most valued consumer on the planet. Uh, If you want access to us and our markets, uh, you're going to have to pay the border carbon adjustment. You're going to have to play on the same level playing field that American companies are playing. Uh, So that's a twofold benefit. Obviously, number one, it incentivizes uh, China and India and Russia and all these other countries to reduce their emissions dramatically uh, or put into place policies that are intended to reduce those emissions. Uh, and also uh, on the domestic side, obviously uh, we have a massive carbon advantage in American clean manufacturing, uh, and so we need to uh, leverage that by leveling the playing field. Uh, because we're looking at you know certain industries where American manufacturers are five times cleaner than Chinese ones. Uh, wow. Yeah, and and we're just we're just letting that money slip away, um, and we're letting these folks pollute, uh, and we're not taking economic advantage of that that. Clean manufacturing advantage. Uh, you know, not to mention, you know, the potential businesses that could be created out of this domestically. That's just talking about the ones that exist currently. Um, so, so you're, you know, when you're looking at, you know, Tesla building gigafactories in Texas. Um, if we're going to build a dozen of those throughout the country, we leverage that carbon advantage even more uh, in a way that China isn't even thinking about right now.
0: So are we doing well when it comes compared to other countries? Or like, have we done, like, is recycling helping? Or like, remember the whole can thing that we had a couple years ago? Don't use hairspray. Like, is that working? Is that?
2: Well, there's been moments where it has worked. Uh, So probably the best example of uh, environmental shifts, shifts in environmental policy that have worked, uh, the best example is under the H.W. Bush administration. They put a market-based mechanism in place. Uh, on sulfur dioxide, and that's what caused oh. acid rain. Uh, and probably most of the folks that are uh, Gen Z and millennials, uh, like like myself, uh, don't remember acid rain. Uh, and the reason why is because <laughs> we fixed it. Um, there was a serious problem in in the 70s and 80s where people were constantly panicking about the fact that rain was literally acidic uh, due to sulfur dioxide in the atmosphere. So, so the H.W. Bush administration put a price on sulfur dioxide. Uh, disincentivized using it uh, from polluters. Uh, eventually, uh, you know, that worked. And so sulfur dioxide was no longer in the atmosphere. We obviously no longer have acid rain. Um, and so there have been times where this has worked. Um, and then on the innovation side of things, uh, you know, obviously the natural gas boom has dramatically reduced emissions domestically. We Americans outpaced uh, the rest of the world in emissions reduction, uh, so, almost solely due To the shift from coal to natural gas purely due due to a technological innovation i've actually got uh, george mitchell's book here uh, the inventor of hydraulic fracturing um you know uh you know that dramatically reduced emissions by moving from dirtier sources of energy to cleaner ones because of technology because it was more efficient because it was more economical Um, and so we need policies to reflect that kind of benefit uh, and, th- and that's obviously where where a carbon dividend solution could be huge is incentivizing those kinds of shifts uh, in innovation and technology.
1: So you mentioned the pipeline a little bit. Does Biden closing the pipeline? I'm like blanking. The Keystone
2: Pipeline. Keystone, does,
1: yeah. yeah. Does Biden closing the Keystone Pipeline actually help the environment?
2: It does not. Um, it, it's one of the. It was obviously one of the earliest things in the Biden administration. Obviously, when a new president comes in, you're hopeful that they're going to do well and they're going to do the right things and they're going to do good things for America. And, and, uh, I was really disappointed to see that, um, because, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, very much again into the weeds, but pipelines are the safest way to, uh, you know, transport energy. Uh, your other options are through trucks and trains. Uh, and so can you
0: pause for two seconds? Okay. So for those of us who have no, understanding of any of this when you say transport energy what, are you, what do you mean
2: oil and gas um and gas. so okay. uh yeah and so so that's uh the the other ways you would transport oil and gas are by uh overseas uh by a, a, a cargo ship unless you get <laughs> stuck in a canal somewhere uh, <laughs> you know uh but uh and then uh domestically it's it's by train truck or pipeline and so the reason why we build pipelines is they're really really safe uh, there's very little risk of spill, um, and uh, you can transport a ton of it very, very quickly. Um, and so, uh, it's it's one of those things that just makes sense. Plus, obviously, pipelines don't produce emissions themselves. Yeah. Um, so, uh, where trucks and trains obviously do. Uh, so, in the short term, this is bad for the environment because it means more emissions transporting the energy that we're going to use one way or another. Uh, Because oil is not just used for energy. So even if we move towards cleaner sources of energy, we still use petrochemicals. We still use, you know, oil is in your smartphone. It's in your computer. It's in your shoes. You know, it's in your uh, leggings, you know, all those kind of things. So we're going to have to transport this somehow to the factories uh, that make that stuff. Uh, And so in the short term, there's more emissions from transportation. uh, And then obviously there's the economic impact uh, is, is the lost jobs, lost union jobs. You know, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, a, a union guy necessarily, but, but I know that, um, the Biden administration claims to be on the side of, of the working man. Um, and obviously the loss of thousands of union jobs from that project is huge. Um, that's the kind of stuff that we want to avoid with a policy solution, like the carbon dividend solution is it entirely preempts the need for those kind of like, Uh, top-down executive and bureaucratic solutions like ending pipelines or banning certain types of energy or certain types of business um, because it just creates clear clear market incentives. And so under the carbon dividend solution, you would have 57% carbon emissions reductions by 2035. Um, So that is a dramatic shift um, that doesn't require this sort of um, knee-jerk, top-down big government solutions like banning a pipeline that has such immediate economic and environmental impacts uh that are so clearly negative um I, I still don't quite understand the logic of it other than maybe just trying to assuage the loudest voices on the environmental left
0: yeah I was, okay, wondering, was, what, yeah, I
1: was yeah. wondering what the logic is like yeah. why is the left against it. the pipeline
2: yeah I think I think that's it I think uh pipelines are really um They're an easy boogeyman, um, you know, uh, for for a lot of environmental activists. uh, And it's a very easy thing to ban. Uh, You just pull the permit. Um, And so that's what the Biden administration did. Uh, I think they wanted a pressure valve for a lot of the environmental activists uh, who are now seeing get riled up over the infrastructure bill uh, all over again. Um, You know, they were, as soon as he got elected, basically saying, OK, we got you here. Uh, We didn't like you in the first place. Um, but we got you here. Uh, what are you going to do for us? And this was kind of their, um, yeah, offer. Uh, it was it was a political, safe, uh, you know, pressure ballot, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I think that was the main strategy. Uh, I would love to say it was some high minded environmental uh, idealism on the on the folks in the administration, but I, I really do think it was the pressure of activists um, and and them just not wanting to deal with it.
0: Are pipelines generally in like rural areas?
2: Yeah, for the most part, you're you're obviously not able to like build a pipeline through Manhattan, uh, right? So, uh, yeah, they're they're mostly uh, in in rural areas, and there's usually agreements with the landowners themselves to build the pipeline. Uh, so that was one of my jobs in Ohio was talking to crowds uh, where where pipelines and fracking projects were getting built um, and uh, explaining the process and all this kind of stuff and and how they would get royalties for certain projects and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and so, yeah. the,
0: I think that's another problem because I feel like most of the people who are the loudest in the environmental, most the people who are the loudest in this conversation are people who just don't know, mm-hmm. like people just don't, the average from what I've seen, I could be completely off, but from what I've seen, the average environmental activist is not someone who grew up in rural America and even understands really like the benefits of a pipeline, they just know this isn't something that they want. And like you said, it's easy to stop. It's, it's a good scapegoat. So I think that's, I mean, that's very interesting that, yeah. Um, yeah. And,
2: and, yeah. Well, and that's, that's why, you know, it, it, as conservatives, we have to like sort of ground the conversation because I think stuff like a pipeline is is sort of a totem for something else. It's a totem for big oil. It's a totem for yeah. uh, when it's being built, you know, uh, one of the things I am sympathetic to is, you know, when it's being built through, uh uh native land indigenous owned land or reservations um you know i, I get why why they would see that as a, a totem for uh you know colonialism or whatever um you know i get that to a certain degree um so we got to bring it back to like okay big picture we're adults we know that policy solutions have trade-offs economic decisions uh have trade-offs what what are the costs and benefits here? Uh, and, and just because something seems big, scary, and bad from, you know, your, your, you know, Williamsburg apartment in Brooklyn, um, you know, maybe there's a little bit more to it. Uh, and maybe you should talk to the folks on the ground, uh, about Mm -hmm. what they think about this project or what they think about, um, energy, the environment, you know, whatever. Um, because I, I I think that's, that's, you know, to sort of bring it back to, to what I do, uh, we, the, one of the reasons why YCCD exists is because conservatives have been left out of the environmental discussion often because we punted, honestly, uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. Um, But when we're not part of the discussion, you don't get these perspectives. You don't get Mm -hmm. these kind of, okay, what are what are our uh, pragmatic, real solutions? And you just get people just essentially doing um, uh, it's the problem of group polarization, where if it's only people from one political uh you know group or whatever they just go further and further to the extreme Mm -hmm. um we're here to bring that back we're here to to have a pragmatic conversation about real solutions to a real problem um and and really uh bring our values and principles to the table
1: so i watched the movie gasland when i was taking ap environmental science
0: yeah
1: and the big thing like it was taught is like how fracking is bad (laughs) is fracking bad
0: because no. before you yeah. answer that, what is fracking? Before you answer that, yeah. what is fracking? For those so, who
2: don't know. So fracking is a process are. of uh, you basically inject uh, what's called hydraulic fr- fracturing fluid uh, into shale, uh, which is a, a rock development that, uh, you know, uh, thousands of feet underground, very, very far down. Uh, and it basically uh, creates pressure and it cracks the, the, gas, the gas out of the gaps in the rock, essentially. And so that's how you get the natural gas and oil out of the rocks uh, that you could not obviously get with a standard drill. Um, Because normally with a conventional well, you just have like a vat of oil underground, you drill into it, pressure shoots it up, you're good. Uh, With fracking, you have to, it's a little bit more intensive. Uh, That being said, uh, hydraulic fracturing uh, has been proven a million times over to be safe. Uh, There is no uh, evidence that uh, the gas or oil gets into groundwater. So when you see that-
1: yeah, yeah i with, guess so
2: now, when they light the water on fire yep, yep that's yeah. what i was
0: thinking
1: yeah
2: okay yeah, wait, wait
0: wait so a, it's, wait sorry it's, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> everybody wait pause two seconds two seconds sorry are you saying there's oil in rocks
2: uh in in like in the rock developments themselves like the rock bed yes
0: oh that's interesting
2: okay so that's how we get it out is, so, is through that process of hydraulic fracture yeah so um, kind of
0: going
1: back real quick on this documentary Gasland. like the biggest thing is like fracking's evil because they were showing us how where the lands are being fracked on if you turn on the water and light a match the water would get, go on fire because they're claiming that the oil and all that was yeah, getting in the water so then what was getting in the water
2: there was methane the 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 issue there is the reason why the drilling was happening in Western Pennsylvania was because it was really, really easy to get to that natural gas. And so the natural gas was already that close to the groundwater. And so them being able to light the water on fire has kind of always been a thing. Um, Oh, so so it was
1: because of the fracking.
2: No, um, you can't. Yeah, there's not there's not any evidence that you can show to, to say that that's why they were able to do that. Um, uh, it's, they've just always had methane really, really close to their groundwater. Uh, and so that's why you get that smell and and the, the sort of, uh, ability to, uh, light it on fire or whatever. There's obviously some camera tricks involved, that kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, uh, the, the sort of environmental impact locally of fracking is, is, uh i would say most charitably highly exaggerated um and and you know my you know honest answer to folks is is that it's you know it's fabricated yeah um that being okay. said I, like i'm not even like i don't you know i don't work for the oil and gas industry anymore i just i just work for this nonprofit. uh do advocacy <laughs> for climate stuff um you know ngos support us uh and or support our plan i should say Uh, so, so I don't want to get too much into the defending (laughs) of fracking kind of thing, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I, I, at one point at a trade show to make a point, uh, actually drank frack fluid, uh, just to prove that it was non-toxic. Um, I (laughs) recommend that. Um, uh, but it was one of those things where activists were getting a little excited and saying that, you know, this, they were holding up this, this Halliburton frack fluid, uh, and they was uh, they had just gotten it off the the booth uh, at, at the trade trade show, uh, and they they're you know this, this stuff you know it's poison whatever. And so as a stunt, I drank it. Um, it tastes about what you would expect. Uh, it's horrible, um, but I didn't die. Um, so and that's
0: what's important.
2: Yeah, I'm still here.
0: <laughs> so okay, really quick, I'm super ignorant of all of this stuff. So in West Virginia, they were drinking water that had methane
1: gas western pennsylvania so this western documentary was featured in western pennsylvania they had like a huge shell rock out there if I call
2: yep yeah it's the marcellus oh, my pennsylvania goodness pennsylvania out there. i uh, think yeah. the
1: documentary's on like hbo max you yeah
2: i watch. mean you can watch it i mean it's it's interesting i i would say watch it with skeptical eye um you know uh it, it's you know, I, I don't know what exactly I can't say it's always been like that or whatever, but I'm not a geologist. Um, but I know that there's no evidence that um, it was because of fracking. Like fracking could get methane into their groundwater. Yeah, the, they're the, trying the, to the line. distance between where you're drilling and where the groundwater sits is massive. Like you would have it would take probably like a thousand years to get there. I mean, it's hmm. it's uh, again, I'm not a geologist. I don't want to claim anything scientific. Um, but but yeah, there there's there's just not a lot there. But I, okay. we're like talking all about this fracking stuff and I uh you know I yeah,
1: I, sorry, that's not your topic. topic. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, so no,
2: off. you're good. You're good. I, okay, I love so- talking about this stuff, but this is how you get me on a tangent, you know. <laughs> all
1: right. So let's start wrapping up. We've beaten around the bush. What is the alternative to the Green New Deal?
2: <laughs> the alternative to the Green New Deal is capitalism. Uh if if the Green New Deal is is uh the sort of Democratic Socialists of America solution. uh, We need to champion real capitalist solutions. So, you know, one of the fundamental mistakes that that conservatives have made in the past is when looking at big government uh, solutions and that they know are dangerous and unhelpful, uh, especially when compared to free markets, uh, we often just are the party of no. Um, And and that's fine to a certain degree. But we saw with the Obamacare fight uh, that being the party of no and saying no and rejecting and trying to repeal or, or fighting or even before it got passed fight against Obamacare without a solution of our own is fundamentally insufficient because mm-hmm. if we just say capitalism's going to solve the problem we have to say how we have to have a solution of our own and that's why we're proposing the carbon dividend solution uh, as the answer to that and so instead of just you know just opposing the green new deal on the on the obvious merits to us as conservatives uh, we're championing a conservative solution as well uh, in response to it, because it would be both political and environmental malpractice to just allow the Green New Deal to happen uh, because we know that some kind of climate policy is going to happen over the next ten years. Um, a lot of it could end up looking like the Green New Deal if we don't fight back hard enough, but it's not so much about just fighting hard and, and throwing the right, uh, and, and throwing the right punches and being mean or whatever, or saying the right, having the right owns on Twitter. Uh, we need a real solution of our own. Mm-hmm. We cannot make the mistake that we did with healthcare care um, by just saying, you know, that's bad because it's big government. Uh, and then when people are left with no other solution, they're like, well, there's a problem that people don't have access to health insurance or access to health care. And so they're going to go with the big government solution. Climate change is going to be the same way. If, they're re- if people are obvi- concerned with the way that they obviously are, uh, that climate change is a serious problem that we need to address, and they're not being given any alternatives to the Green New Deal. They might go with it. And I think with, you know, with the Democratic White House, Democratic Senate, Democratic House, uh, we have to take that threat really, really seriously. So the time is kind of right now uh, to cr- to propose and, and uh, you know, advocate for a solution that's in clear opposition to it on principles. Um but is, is better than it on solutions and goals. Um, so if they want to reduce emissions, if they want to address climate change, the best way to do it is our solution. <laughs> uh, and so so how, you know, I, I know it's uh, sort of uncouth or whatever, uh, but, you know, I think a lot of conservatives get into Republican politics out of this desire to own the libs or whatever. Um, Don't
0: get me started on people like that. I keep going. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. It's not,
2: it's not, it's not my think... game, but but it's, it's sort yeah. of like, but if we really do want to beat the left on, on politics and on policy, mm-hmm. beating them on an issue that they think they own with a solution that embodies all of our principles mm-hmm. is an incredible political opportunity. Uh, and so yeah. that's why I do what I do. That's why I advocate for the carbon dividend solution. Um, that's why I encourage everybody to join at yccdaction.org. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you know, uh, if you also, you know, you welcome to follow me at C. Johnson, yccd. You might get some bad takes about Buckeye football, so I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, um, but we're looking to you know preempt and prevent the Green New Deal with a, with a real solution of our own, yeah. um, and uh, it's going to be conservatives championing this. It has yeah. to be. I mean, if we're looking at you know the the sulfur dioxide uh, solution that, that we were talking about earlier with H.W. Bush, this has to happen from re- Republican and conservative leadership. Uh, we're just not going to get it from the left.
0: So are you guys so it's a fleshed out plan um has and so it's been created by legislators and they are trying to get it like how like how are you guys going to get the people to vote on it like yeah. how are you going to
2: yeah it, it will be a bill uh will be will it will be ha- introduced in congress uh through the senate um that is ultimately our goal that is in the near future we're very excited to introduce a bill uh, that is um, entirely these principles and these pillars uh, in policy language, in legislative language. Uh, it has to be a legislative solution. Uh, we as conservatives uh, you know, really obviously are concerned about the massive expansion of executive power um, mm-hmm. and massive expansion of bureaucracy. We want this to last. We, if we're going to solve a you know, 100-year problem, uh, we need legislation. We need Congress to act on this. Uh, and so we, as an organization at YCCD are, are asking young people to go and lobby their, their Congress, uh, men and women, uh, their senators, um, their state legislators to go and lobby their delegation. Um, you know, and, and so that's why we're a 501c4. So we do lobby Congress. Um, and we do, yeah, of course we're, we're not messing around. We're not just, you know, doing the, the sort of sunrise movement, you know, gluing ourselves to (laughs) boats on K street and that kind of stuff. Um, which is a real thing that they did while I was walking to work. So, oh wow, yeah, it was fun. Uh, they're a unique crowd, um, but yeah, we're not we're not doing that. We're really trying to get a bill uh, introduced, passed, and signed. Uh, and we're confident that based on the merits, uh, that this will end up having bipartisan support. Um, but uh, a legislative fight's going to be tough, uh, and we're going to need yeah. as many people supporting this as possible. We're going to need the, the whole of the conservative movement. Uh, especially from young people who care about climate uh, disproportionately uh, to be advocating for this as the solution.
1: Are y'all like a membership organization at all? So can young people join as like a member?
2: Yes. So, uh, so if you're a conservative leader on a college campus and young Republicans group, if you're a a state legislator, a county commissioner, whatever, uh, if you're in your local county, if you're a county GOP chair, uh, we have what's called the Conservative Leaders Network. Um, so you can sign up for that on our website at yccdaction.org. Um, I can I can share a link with you guys to put in the show notes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we would love to have you sign up for our Conservative Leaders Network. Uh, that is something that that we would love to to have. Um, you know, be sort of this this group of folks who who agree on this policy solution, want to advocate for this. Uh, we are also um, Obviously, uh, you can sign up uh, on our website by, for our newsletters and our, our follow us on Twitter and Instagram and all that fun stuff. See all the great content we we put together. We're placing you know media all the time with op eds and LTES. Uh, so if you want to get and get involved that way as well, if you want to write a letter to the editor of your local paper, we can set you up with how to do that. Uh, walk you through it, um, and then also if you you know want to meet with your legislator uh, with you and your friends. Um, you know, who are conservative leaders in your community, uh, that's what we do best. So you can find that all on our website uh, and sign up there. We're also looking to hire uh, for uh, summer interns. Uh, it's a little fellowship program. Obviously it's all remote uh, because of COVID and stuff. Um, so, so if you're in college or um, a recent graduate, uh, check out our summer intern program as well.
1: Awesome. Uh, two more questions. What can an everyday person do at home to limit their carbon use? Oh,
2: that's the best thing, this is such a tough question for me, um, because I um, this is, you know uh, this is a solution that is, that is just really it's really hard to as a consumer to know what um, you know, is a high carbon decision, a low carbon decision, a green decision, whatever. And without a price on carbon that tells you in the cost of a good, uh, how much uh, carbon dioxide goes into making that product? Uh, it's really hard for consumers to to make environmental decisions based on carbon footprint, carbon footprint, and climate and that kind of stuff. Obviously, you know, uh, if if you want to make a personal impact, drive driving less, you know, walking more, riding a bike, you know, all those kind of green behaviors, that kind of stuff. But the best thing you can do is advocate for public policy. Um, mm-hmm. And I know. You know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, and so I'm kind of preaching to that a little bit. Um, but I really do believe that that we're, we're not going to solve this problem through sort of consumer environmentalism. We're going to need uh, innovators uh, and entrepreneurs and communities uh, and, and legislators fundamentally to solve this problem together because it's a, it's a collective problem. It's a community-driven problem. Uh, it's a global problem um, that requires shifting of markets. Um, And that unfortunately can't can't happen always through individual decisions. Not that those decisions don't matter. um, But in the meantime, especially with such a time sensitive issue, uh, we need a a policy solution that's effective. We need it now.
1: Would buying local kind of help with the carbon footprint?
2: Not always. Uh, It's kind of a in the weeds kind of thing. But uh, often uh, local means um, uh, uh, farms and uh, agricultural stuff that uh, has more carbon intensive properties because they lack economies of scale the way that some larger uh, producers do. So even if the the transportation carbon is limited, um, it's not always a net positive uh, because of those economies of scale. Um, But it really depends where you're at. It depends on the product. Um, I will say eating, eating less meat does reduce your carbon footprint pretty significantly, which is heartbreaking for me. As somebody who grew up in Texas and lived in Ohio his whole life, <laughs> to find out how much carbon dioxide is in red meat. Um, but uh, but I'm I'm still gonna enjoy a, a good rib eye here and then. But uh, I've dialed it back a little bit. Well,
1: meatless Monday, like you can yeah. do one I day. Mean, a I, week.
2: I went vegetarian for Lent. You know. Uh, oh I, God,
1: I, do I tried going fast. no carb. It was so bad.
2: Oh no! <laughs> oh man, I've done that before. It's it's tough. Oh man. But- yeah. Uh, oh, did you
1: have something? Else? Well, I just had one more question, okay. and then if you have anything,
0: you got it. Go
1: okay, so if someone is interested in learning more about carbon dividends and the conservative approach to climate change, what books or resources do you recommend?
2: We have a great uh, resource on the website uh, that was written by Secretaries Baker and Schultz. It's called the Conservative Case for Carbon Dividends. Uh, it's a great quick read. It's a, it's a short publication PDF. Uh, highly recommend reading that uh, sort of it's it's in language that that we already sort of speak because it's it's a plan that's fundamentally written by us and for us in a way. And that just doesn't happen in any policy context, let alone environmental policy. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend reading that. Also, uh, Ted Halstead, who founded the Climate Leadership Council, uh, who ultimately wrote the Baker-Schultz plan with uh, Secretaries Baker and Schultz, is a great TED talk. Um, mm. And uh, it's fun because his name is Ted. Uh, and so he founded the organization, uh, that initially championed the plan, uh, and Ted, uh, tragically passed away this past year. Um, uh, and so, so it sort of honored his legacy. I would love for you guys to watch, uh, his Ted talk, uh, advocating for the conservative uh, climate solution. Uh, it's an incredible talk. It lays out the plan. It lays out the politics pretty clearly. Uh, it's from a few years ago. So things have shifted a little bit, uh, but it's still, you know, it's still true that, Uh, conservatives have been left out of the climate discussion this is how we get back in and here's how we actually solve this problem that's been just riddled with with partisan deadlock um and this is how we break that by conservatives coming to come to the table with a real solution
1: what's his last name ted white
2: halstead h-a-l-s-t-e-a-d
1: h-a-l-s-t-a-p Ooh, that is not how i wrote it down
2: (laughs) h-a-l-s-t-e-a-d halstead E A D.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah. That's not how I read it. Yeah. Yeah, that's not how I read it. But. <laughs> just, yeah. So, okay. highly recommend those. We'll
0: definitely leave a to that.
2: Yeah, and and then uh, you know, and then yeah. in terms of other books to read, um you know, I, I always give rants about how Friedrich Hayek would support a carbon price and that kind of stuff. So oh,
1: I yes, Hayek. I'm like, uh,
2: like when people are like, what should I read? I'm like the road to Serfdom. Uh,
1: <laughs> I interned at the Mercatus Center, which is like very Austrian focused economics.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I, I just tell people to read Hayek. And uh, if I'm, if I'm really, uh, really, uh, feeling myself, tell them to read some Burke, uh, tell them to read, um, you know, that, that kind of stuff, uh, Friedman, uh, mm-hmm. all of those guys would have supported a carbon price. So, yep. um, that's, that's my, uh, reading recommendations.
1: Yep. I would always recommend a Chicago economist or, uh, Austrian economist, Absolutely. very free market focused, limited government.
2: Absolutely, and yeah, apparently, a lot of, of on Mises. Yeah, a lot yep, of yeah. Yep. Yeah,
1: sure. AOC yeah, a- did not read those books.
2: <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny is is you can tell she let she read Adam Smith, but she only read like the labor theory of value stuff, and uh-huh. so it's like the one thing that Adam Smith got wrong is the only thing that she internalized. <laughs> well,
1: amazing. I will, I will say, I did a history of economic thought class in college, which laid out like, the whole history of the different economic thoughts and, like, the socialist movement and how it just failed. And so, like, what happens is, like, in these movements, it's kind of, like, going, like, from, like, one extreme to the other until they try to find that equilibrium, yeah. and socialism was not it.
2: Yeah. No, that it, but real socialism's never been tried. I've, I've been assured of that by <laughs> my lefty friends here in D.C. Um, but
0: Okay. Well, thank you so, so much. This was very informative. Um, and I just want, also want to say like, I really love, um, the, you guys are a C4. That's awesome. And I hope I'll leave all the links for people to sign up, um, for internship, for all that stuff, because I do think, um, you made very good points about how, like, we have to have an alternative and we have to be doing something. And that's something that we are really big on. And we want to start, be putting an even more focus on like let's just not just talk about like oh this is bad but let's like actually do something about it so i'll definitely leave all of those links um in the show notes and in the description on youtube um and then all the links to your social media and all that stuff but thank you so much um for coming on and doing this i really appreciate it i think our audience really appreciates it yeah. um and everyone listening um I really hope you guys were able to understand everything, to take notes, and you're able to talk to your liberal liberal Lizzie friends um, about this topic. And now that you, now that we have a a conservative solution, I think we can start moving forward and having um, more productive conversations. Because I mean, Chris was right about the how people how a lot of times we just like shut down the conversation because we don't really have anything, any other option. So hopefully you guys are able to um have those conversations. Vic, any announcements we need to make?
1: Nothing from my side. Okay. Um hope everyone has a great day and we'll talk to you guys on Saturday.
0: Yes. Oh and subscribe rate review. Yep. That yeah. All right. Bye everybody. Bye guys. guys.